Hello, and welcome back once again to the HR Social Hour Half Hour Podcast. This is episode 184, The Best of HR Wonder Women, Volume 1. I'm your host, John. And I'm Wendy. How are you, John? Wendy, I'm well. Happy September. Happy September. Wow. Yeah, very excited <laughs> to welcome back a returning sponsor in the yes. Talent Magnet Institute. Yay. Thank you, TMI. So happy to have it back. Yeah, we so much appreciate Mike Sippel and his yeah. whole team at Talent Magnet. We're going to be uh, doing an interview with one of his team members uh, soon. They're going to be uh, taking part in our chat in the second chat of the month over on yep. the 26th, I believe. Yes. Mike will be co-hosting that chat with us. So lots of great things. Those of you that know Mike know he's just a tremendous partner for not only the social hour, but for our community at large and just always happy to be able to partner with him. And so we want to again, once again, thank Talent Magnet Institute for sponsoring this month. Yes. Thank you, TMI. Happy, happy to have him back. <laughs> Wendy, as we were talking last week and started looking at the fact that we have all this amazing content that we've been able to create over the last three and a half years now, something fun here in that we are going to introduce folks that maybe are new to the show or haven't listened all the way back or maybe missed HR Wonder Woman we're going to give them a little sampler, as it were, yeah. of the show. Maybe explain how you came up with it and then why we're in the place we're doing it right now and what's coming up. Yeah, so excited to uh, get a chance to go back and listen to past episodes on purpose, not accidentally. For those of you who have been listening for a while, you know that we haven't had any HR Wonder Women episodes out in uh, 2021. It's been a while since we've had any even in 2020 because my co-host Ann Tompkinson was diagnosed with breast cancer. So she had been going through treatment and uh, didn't need, we didn't need anything extra going on. So we put uh, HR Wonder Woman on a hiatus. Good news. She has finished her treatment. She did radiation and she is now in full recovery mode, resting her body and getting her pla- herself back to a place where she's able and excited about uh, getting back to the podcast. So HR Wonder Woman has not gone away, but um, in anticipation of Anne's return, I thought it would be fun to revisit some of my favorite episodes, pull out some great content that we had. And uh, I got to tell you, John, it's a lot of work to go through and uh, pull out that content the way you want it. But it was also a lot of fun, not just go back and listen to that content again, but to figure out what do we share again? What's what's the great stuff? I think I posted out there listening to our episode with Elena Valentine and um, I, I actually started, I had to listen to it three or four times cause I couldn't decide what I wanted to share. So that just tells you there's a lot of great stuff out there. I am so excited. I did decide to start with the first five guests. So, um, you'll hear from Margaret Spence, Sarah Morgan, Elena Valentine, Iko Bathia, and Tamara Raspberry. Lots of great friends of the pod. Um, and lots of, I mean, these women are still doing fantastic things out there. So um, really hope that you guys uh, enjoy this episode. Feel free to go back and listen to the full episodes as well. But um, this is, you know, this little sampler, I, I thought it would be fun. And I know I had fun putting it together. So I hope you all enjoy listening to it. So, uh, Margaret, how can HR help lead the way to develop these women as leaders? You know, I, I just spoke at HR Florida. And one of the things that I said to the group there was, we have to know who women are. One of the challenges that I see right now is we build leadership development programs, but we have no idea who the women are that we're putting into them. 
programs. We have no idea who they are. No one, I've been in HR for years. You both have been in HR. How many times has any HR leader sat down with a group of women and said, tell me what you would like us to develop and what would you like us to prepare you for so you're ready for leadership? That question is never asked. We go out, we'll buy canned programs, we'll put them together, we'll have our own meetings, we'll decide what's going to be great within a leadership development program. And as I said at, at Sherm 18, right now, I can't think of one leadership development program that's written by a woman, a woman for women. I can name you mm. dozen leadership development programs that's written for men that we ask women to go through. And it's two different dichotomies. It's two different worlds. It's two different areas and two different developmental tracks. And not that I'm saying that women are so special that we need a special program because that's what people will hear. That's really not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is this. Corn Ferry released a study that basically said of the women that have become executives, 90, probably 98% of them never thought about applying for a senior leadership role until someone told them that they were duly qualified for that role. They never applied. So if that's what I'm dealing with, that's the who, okay, how am I going to develop a program and say, hey, I've got a women's leadership development program. Come on down. How am I going to do that? When the reality is, I don't even feel confident that I can be a leader. Mm -hmm. I don't feel confident that I can go beyond the supervision. Let's say I've been promoted to supervisor, but I may never even think I could become executive director or I could become division president. Um, If I can't move off of the first promotion and feel so good about myself that I'm capable and you've built a program that I'm supposed to go into an Excel, how does that happen? It doesn't happen. So the key for me is getting HR to understand that the question we must ask is who are the women that work for us? What do they want for their career? And what was the vision that that woman had at the door? Because this is the thing. When we applied for the jobs that we have right now, we had lofty ideas in our head about where this job could take us. We had all kinds of thoughts when we got hired. You know, oh my gosh, I'm going to go work for XYZ company. And I could see myself being, you know, division president in two years. Then we get to work. We start our jobs. Five years later, the original thought that we had in our head when we got to the door is gone. We've picked up all of the illusions and delusions and all the other things that go along with it. <laughs> and right. we've forgotten who we are. So so for HR, we, we have to go back to fundamentals. Who do we have in our workforce? What do they want? Where do we want to see them? How are we going to champion them? What is the process to get them there? And what's the missing component, including the soft skills? Finding new people to follow. That, I mean, that was the other great thing is getting those voices out in front of myself, which is really awesome because, Sarah, you've been great on social media sharing examples of white allies who get it right. And that's really what, for Ann and I, trying to get it right. How can we be allies in this fight, I guess, for lack of a better term? I, I don't like don't like that it's a fight, but yeah, you know, I, we are. yeah, I, you know, first I say I really appreciate you acknowledging that. I, I share stuff a lot of times on Twitter and LinkedIn and Facebook. And 
I don't know that I necessarily start out with the highest intent. It really is. No, it's, it's, you know, it's the petty side of me. That's like, this stuff is not that hard. Like look at this company or look at this person who is doing diversity and inclusion in a really intentional way and not making it difficult. You know, they're not having difficulty finding the people and and figuring out how to incorporate them because I think sometimes we make it seem like it's so hard and, and it's not when you're intentional about it. You know, I, I, I share stuff and sometimes I don't always think that I'm sharing it, you know, trying to highlight the, those things, but I'm glad that it's being received that way. And I'm, and it was a call, like hearing you guys say that is a call to me to keep doing it and, and to do it more. But I think in terms of being an ally, it really is about committing to like educate yourself about these issues and learning to listen more than you talk. You know, this work isn't really about you. It's about centering and creating space for other people. So you got to pass the mic. You got to let other people have the opportunity to talk, tell their story, share their experience in their voice and not do anything to interrupt and dilute and discount, you know, what it is that those folks are saying. And then I think the other piece is knowing that you're going to get it wrong and that's okay. Like you're going to say stuff. It's going to offend someone. You're going to have to be corrected. That is all okay. You know, but what's not okay is inserting yourself into the space to share your opinion without having done like any type of like educational effort, like there you no requisite knowledge whatsoever. And then being unwilling to be checked when someone says, yo, you're doing this wrong. Like the way that you're coming at this is, is not the right way. And you're inserting your privilege into this moment more than anything else. And then taking accountability for that and just being willing to say, I'm sorry, show me how, you know, to do it better. Give me resources to teach me how to do it better. And then following through on that. So, you know, that for me is, is, What's really important for anyone who's looking to be an ally and, and I'll even say an accomplice in this fight, you know, if you if you're trying to get in here and do this work alongside us, then that's what's really important. You know, as with Black Lives Matter, there I found so many people who wrote stuff, but then didn't really read and reshare other people's stuff. And it's like, this wasn't for white people. And, and I don't say that to be like <laughs> or offensive, but like, this is not about you. Like, this is about centering voices that don't typically have the opportunity to be, you know, heard on a larger platform. So when you insert yourself and your, you know, huge following to say, this is a really important thing. And, but then you don't follow that up with support of the other people who are, are in the space, you doing it wrong. It's good intentions, but it's wrong actions. If we're not willing to hear that feedback, you know, and then do the work it takes to correct it, I would just much rather see people step out the space altogether than to come in here and and, and muck it up. You know, I didn't start out blogging and, and speaking because I wanted to be a diversity and inclusion advocate at all. <laughs> like, I wanted to write about just regular HR stuff. Like, let's talk about the FMLA. Like, I didn't put, you know, I didn't set out trying to talk about this, but here I am. And now that I'm here, I realize that my voice is adding value to the space I'm, and I'm creating space for other people as well. And I've, if I'm going to stand here, then I've got to 
to study and come with more than just my opinions and my observations. And I would just encourage anybody who's wanting to do this work and stand in this space to recognize that and be willing to do those same things as well. I think that's great. It's funny that you're talking, um, you, you know, you're, you're telling us that if we want to be allies or accomplices, that we have to think about our impact, not our intention, um, mm-hmm. or not our intention alone, right? And, and own our own impact and um, say we're sorry when we screw it up, which we will. And yet you started by saying, oh, I post those things because I'm feeling kind of petty about it. And it, it doesn't matter, Sarah, what your intention was the impact really was good stuff yeah the impact was great but yeah I, I can't I can't even say that my efforts are that noble I definitely am like uh see like here you know because uh, you guys are are both really active on social media and in a lot of the the other HR spaces on LinkedIn and and Facebook and stuff like that you go to conferences you know and you you see the conversations that happen and how difficult you know we make this seem and and we do it to people of color we do it to women and it's like you, you got to be kidding me like you know I remember saying that to somebody on Twitter if Hollywood can do inclusion writers we sure we sure can like how is how are we making this so difficult to figure out it's not that difficult um, when you're committed to it but when you just want to give lip service to get some residual hits on your blog by popping onto a hashtag that's really popular, then yeah, yeah, it's going to be hard because your heart's not in the right place. You don't have the right intentions and and the impact isn't going to have the impact that you want it to. So I think it really is, it goes back to intentionality and being willing to be uncomfortable and educate yourself about something that is unfamiliar and really uncomfortable for you in order to, you know, go forth and and do work and make space for other people. We all have a limited, limited shelf life in this. None of us are planning to work forever. I know I don't. So at some point, you you know, it's about, it's a succession plan and you want to make sure that your, your plan includes a diverse group of voices. You know, when you, when you hang it up, and you decide I'm not blogging anymore, I'm not speaking anymore, are you just going to pass off your following, your contacts, your network to to people who just look like you? Mm -hmm. I I hope not. But, you know, I certainly don't want that to be the case for myself. I want it to be to to qualify people who have something to say that's going to add value into the space. I don't care what they look like. And I just don't know that um, everybody comes to it with that same intention. But, you know, I hope so. I hope that if there really is commitment to to this space and this work that we're doing right now, that that people take some time and read some some different things and just take some time to educate themselves about it and just be willing to be uncomfortable and shut up (laughs) and let somebody (laughs) else talk for once. So absolutely. You can be vulnerable in what you don't know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think so much of the discomfort that we have around diversity and inclusion um, in other topics is this feeling of like either one, we don't know this well enough, so we can't share it and we don't want to say the wrong thing. I think it's also that, you know, to talk about this means that we also have to talk about the privileges that we mm-hmm. come into these conversations with. And that is very, very hard mm-hmm. for people to do. Yes. The third is that we are not the center of the conversation. 
I think, you know, people like Beto, if we think about other kind of leaders in our HR space, people can do this. Um, it's just kind of acknowledging those three things, being very comfortable with that. And oftentimes the best thing you can do is be a vulnerable leader to say, look, I don't know what I don't know, but I am here to foster space, um, to listen, um, to get comfortable with being uncomfortable and bringing in people who can lead this work, who I can invest in and stand by mm -hmm. in doing so. Hello, everyone. This is Mike Supple Jr. with the Talent Magnet Institute, and I want to invite you to extend an invitation or enroll yourself at talentmagnet.com to the early career and mid-career professionals who are looking at ways to develop and elevate their people skills, their management skills, the way they approach their work days, their work weeks, and how do we as people leaders bring out the greatest potential in others. Go to talentmagnet.com, enroll, and we look forward to seeing you in this free leadership development course today. So moving back into our scripted question. Uh, <laughs> Last year, you wrote a two-part article on the six traits of a good DNI leader. So let's talk about that a little bit more. Um, most businesses are struggling. What are some small changes that businesses can make to get those small wins that will then lead to bigger wins? So I will, I will tell you that the default way that lots of organizations do this is they look at their talent acquisition map and sure. figure out how do we get more of this, more of that, more of you know, actually commodifying people and how do I get higher percentage of women, higher percentage of black, Asian, what have you. And that's the how I think that most organizations see it as low hanging fruit and just upping their numbers. But the danger in doing that is that you're not thinking about the diversity and inclusion. So you're thinking about representation, but you're not thinking about how do you create this environment where people are there and want to be there and they're fully seen and appreciated and they can thrive. So I want to acknowledge how people uh, traditionally do it, but when you think about long-term lasting effects and the having sustainable practice of diversity and inclusion, which is what you want, you don't want to just have a diverse set of people um, who look different from every group. You want to be able to capitalize on what those different experiences are, who they are and what they're bringing to work and also creating an environment where more, there's more rigor in thought because people have these different experiences, but you only get that when you have the inclusion part, which is that people feel they belong enough where they can actually um, have a voice of dissent and not feel like there would be any um, punitive retaliation, be able to um, not only have a voice of dissent, but bring in experiences that might not be the norm or traditional way of seeing things. And so I always think about this as this equation, like the D plus the I equals the other eye, which is innovation. So you oh. want to make sure that you have this not only diversity and representation, but in the environment where people are leaning in with each other, they're collaborating and they're bringing their full brain power and their full life experiences to the table. So when you want that inclusion part, there's a different depth of work that has to be done in an organization. And this shows up in different ways. One core part of that is when you think about internal education. So you're building the cultural competency of your organization, and this is part of your muscle. There are lots of different ways to do this. Now, again, I think about things in terms of best practices compared to what's commonly done. And oftentimes you see at a lot of organizations that they have, um, oh, let's have unconscious bias or implicit bias training 
or let's have something on LGBT issues, but there are these categories also what's shiny and new versus thinking about diversity inclusion as a core leadership competency. So mm. if you think that mm. as a core leadership competency, it's not segregated to this other category, which often is marginalized. Nobody wants to go to the diversity and inclusion training. But if you think <laughs> of the same skills that it takes to talk about a topic that you're uncomfortable with, say you're not familiar with race or gender issues or LGBT plus issues, you're not wanting to go to the diversity and inclusion class necessarily. <laughs> but if you're a leader in an organization or if you're somebody who wants to be able to be challenged and connect with your organization and have an environment that thrives, then you're going to want to build that muscle. And there's simple ways to do that. It's a leadership competency. So again, when I think about what our internal education strategy looks like, it includes, for example, crucial conversations. Like that's a, it's the same skill set to talk about something that you're unfamiliar with and maybe uncomfortable with as when you're putting somebody on a pip. <laughs> I mean, you're difficult, make your heartbeat go up and you have to practice and you have to rehearse and really figure out where you're coming from. It's the same skill set and you have to have courage and lean in and sometimes be vulnerable. The same um, training that you want for people so they're not seeing things black and white and you want your leaders to be able to navigate the gray. How much do we hear that as a leadership competency? Being able to deal with ambiguity and navigate the gray. Well, that's polarity thinking training. So I see that also as part of a critical just leadership competency versus a diversity and inclusion competency. But it's the same skill set that allows you not to see everything in black and white but understand that there's multiple sides of the coin and the issue so that you're challenging yourself in your automatic thinking. So again, I go back to what organizations should be doing in terms of retraining themselves and retooling their culture in a way that it can be um, more successful for people to thrive in versus thinking we're just going to amp our numbers up. And even though people are leaving perhaps because they feel like they don't belong here or because the organization doesn't know how to invite people in. Okay. It's like this revolving circle. And now we have to hire more again while they go out or you end up having other issues where people just feel stifled because they don't understand how to talk to each other and connect and you end up having a segregated workforce to a certain extent. So I would say one of the mistakes that organizations have is they're not building their leadership muscle. They're focusing on this thing called diversity inclusion, but not recognizing that it just feel, fits into the full picture of having an innovative organization and one that's thriving. And then the outcome of that is that more people from different identity groups will want to be there because their leaders knows how to communicate, how to invite people in. And best of all, they know how to exercise a degree of self-awareness and emotional intelligence where they're checking themselves on things and how they engage with people versus waiting for just more people to be hired who look different. And I think, I think <laughs> that's a completely different approach. It's longer term. It's um, sustainable thinking and you're creating cultural competence and you're creating leadership skills that will just continue to feed back to an organization. So what can we just as people do? Like, never mind yeah. that we're in HR. What can we yeah. as people be doing about an issue that's this deep and this systemic? How do we, how do we disrupt that system? I think it really comes down to talking about it because I know that there are a lot of things that happen to people of color that a lot of non-people of color aren't aware of. And it's not that they're okay with it or they, you know, they would think it was right. It's that they just don't realize that it happens. So the more that we share these stories and, you know, 
talk about it, whether it's with our peers, our colleagues on social media, et cetera, then people will know that it's happening. And when people know that it's happening, it makes it easier to address, but it still has to be addressed kind of from a top level down. It has to be addressed in your medical schools. It has to be addressed in your hospitals, et cetera. But I think it's important that we're all aware that these types of things are going on and are not just like burying our head in the sand and feeling like it doesn't happen because it's not happening to you. Awareness is so huge. So, well, actually, it kind of leads us into the next question. Um, but it gets, <laughs> because I think it's, it's, it's beyond health disparities, right? It's, yeah. We, yeah. We need, uh, you know, the, the stories that people of color and other underrepresented people groups experience need to be brought into the general consciousness of society. Right. And believed and then treated as the, the wrong reality that exists if it's ever going to change. So, you know, it's important that all kinds of stories get shared and health disparities are, are one of those. Um, exactly. I also been- think it's important to make sure that um, when we were talking about safe spaces before in regards to like addressing mental illness, safe spaces in general, because I feel like one thing that a lot of organizations make a huge mistake in is feeling that people things that are happening to people outside of the workplace shut off as soon as they cross the threshold of work. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't. So we have to make it so that our employees can feel comfortable talking about, you know, um, discrimination, you know, things that are happening with the police, things that are happening in the legal system, the medical system, the, you know, all these types of things, because these things impact us as people. Right. You know, employees yeah. are people. They're not just employees. So these things don't turn off when we come through the door of the office. Well, because we get, I think, so focused on the areas that we can control that we forget that people come in with all sorts of stuff that maybe we can't control, but we have to acknowledge and understand that it's part of, you know, the the whole idea that we want people to bring their full authentic selves to work. We have to understand that their full authentic selves has a whole life outside Mm -hmm. of the building. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Like if I get pulled over by the cops and I'm scared for my life and this happens on my way to work, that's going to affect how I am at work the rest of the day. Wendy, it is a lot of fun to be able to go back and listen. And we've done so many hours of recordings. It, it's it, it's hard to remember. It's I, I, I have it to is. give you a lot of credit for simply going back and listening enough to find the really the, the <laughs> nuggets, the nuggets of wisdom, the great, you know, the, the great uh, advice and insights that yeah. everyone was able to share. We're going to have links to all those guests of HR Wonder Woman in the show notes. For us, though, and it's for you, best way for listeners to reach you out there. Uh, best way is, as always, on my blog, mydailyjourney.com, daily D as in dog, A-I-L-E-Y. And of course, second and fourth Sunday of each month, you will find me on Twitter as part of our twice monthly Twitter chat. How about you, John? Once again, want to welcome back our friends at Talent Magnet Institute yes. for the month of September. Thank you for sponsoring this episode and the Yay. entire month. More great things to come with them over the next many weeks. And as for me, johntherman.com for all things John Thurman and for the show, hrsocialhourpodcast.podbean.com. Listen, share, review, go back and listen to those HR Wonder Women episodes in total. Get even more great information out of them and, and share those along the way. The best thing you can do to help us is hit that follow button so you get the new yep. content each week. But you can always go back and find those older episodes that you may have missed along the way. International listeners, 
would love to have you take part in the conversations yes. as we as we go along. It's always easier for you to get a hold of us. So please continue <laughs> to reach out and, and we will schedule times as best we can make those time zones work for us. Wendy, thanks again for putting this together. Yeah. It's great. We're pulling for Anne. We're certainly thinking about yeah. her and, and really glad that she is on the mend. Look forward to new content soon. Yes. <laughs> really excited to look forward to that. In the meantime, though, and for yeah. the HR Social Hour Half Hour Podcast, I'm John. And I'm Wendy. And as always, be sure to connect. Give back and network. network. Take care, everybody. We'll see you soon.